You're listening to the sermon podcast by Southside Baptist Church in Florence, South Carolina. We exist to know God and to make Jesus known. For more up-to-date information, check us out at southsidenow.church. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope you do, or maybe a device with an app, if you would open with me to Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Today we're going to look at Jesus' second letter, his letter to the church there at Smyrna. Every day, we have four or five attacks on churches and pastors, and every day it doubles to roughly 10. This we have never seen before. These are the words from a Christian leader within India. We will cut any Christian we find into pieces. These are words from a government official in Afghanistan. Within Mexico, from 2022 to 2023, there were 27 murders that occurred of persecuted Christians. Many of the Christians in this area face extortion every single day and death due to drug cartels who live lawlessly, especially within the rural parts of Mexico. Last year, one in seven Christians around the world were persecuted for their faith. 4,998 Christians were murdered for their faith last year. 14,766 churches and Christian buildings were attacked because of their faith last year. And 3,906 Christians were abducted for their faith last year. We don't have to look very far to understand that the persecution of God's church is alive and well. There are people every single day who are suffering for the sake of Christ, believing that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, and that knowing that nothing, even life, is greater than Jesus. And to be honest with you this morning, as Americans, we do not understand or know the severity of these types of persecutions. However, I would argue and give us calls for caution this morning to understand that the landscape of our culture is vastly changing in the way in which our culture and our government perceives and accepts the truths and the ideas of Christianity. See, there have been stories in the past few years of those who have faced opposition for their faith. We all heard the story of the baker and the florist who wouldn't create for wedding ceremonies that they did not agree with, same-sex marriages. And because of that, they faced tons of opposition, having to go to court, having to retire, no longer able to work anymore. We all heard the story of the coach who prayed publicly before football games, who ultimately ended up losing his job and having to battle against the courts for almost seven years to be reinstated and to find justice in that moment. And in each of these circumstances, one could argue that these were just arguments against any religious idea that was infringing upon another's 
rights. However, if we really begin to study each of these situations, we understand that there is one common thread that is true of each of these circumstances. And that that common thread is that each of these people were ridiculed, persecuted, judged, treated unjustly and unfairly because of their faith in Jesus Christ. None of these people were Muslims. None of these people were Buddhists. None of these people were Hindus that were being persecuted for believing what they believed. Each was a Christian, and I believe this was by no accident. If we look back almost four years ago to when COVID began, we learned quickly how our government began exercising authority. And within all the shutdowns, any opinion aside, the church was in the crosshairs of what was taking place in that moment. All the big box stores were never forced to shut down anything. And yet the church was judged in every decision that we made across the way. Do we shut down? Do we not shut down? If we shut down, is it too early? Who are we hurting? What are we hurting? Constantly in the crosshairs. Persecution of Jesus-loving, God-fearing people, however, is not something that should surprise us as the people of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus promised persecution in the lives of his followers. In John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18 through 20, Jesus says, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. These are the words of Jesus, the one who is faithful and true. See, Jesus doesn't promise us health and wealth. He tells us that there's a strong possibility that we will face persecution because we love him and the world hates him. And this is the same word that he gives to the church at Smyrna. This morning, we're going to see Jesus telling the church at Smyrna, look, things are rough. And that's the good news. The bad news, things are going to get progressively harder. So I want us to look this morning there, chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. Hearing the words of Jesus and searching our hearts this morning for what these words that he spoke to the church at Smyrna mean for us today. He says, and to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. 
and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. These words from Jesus that we just read, I believe, have a twofold purpose in our lives this morning. First, these words should bring about an awareness. They should bring about an awareness in our lives and to our prayers as the church because we should be aware that every single day there are brothers and sisters all around the globe who are being persecuted for their faith in Christ Jesus, some even unto death. And we, as their brothers and sisters and as the church, we should be committed to praying for these brothers and sisters daily. Asking God to give them the strength to be bold in their faith. To give them the wisdom to live in a manner that is God-honoring and self-preserving. For God to protect these brothers and sisters and for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who face punishment for their faith daily. See, we should be aware and we should be committed to praying. We, as the people of God, can't live like hermits. We can't keep our heads buried in the sand, enjoying the luxuries of our lives while not knowing and believing that our brothers and sisters in Christ are facing the evils of the world because of their faith in Jesus. So we must commit to pray for them daily. So we must be aware. But the second thing that comes as we read these words is that it brings about a, a preparation in our lives to persevere amid persecution and punishment for our faith. And so Jesus is calling each of us today to not walk the course of our lives blindly, believing that this couldn't be our lives tomorrow. See, he tells us that we will be hated because the world hates him. And if we're absolutely honest this morning, it is so easy, it is so easy when we read these types of scriptures to listen to this and go, we've got all kind of protections around us. Right? We've got these things called amendments and, and, and all of these, these rights that we have as Americans. And so we, we read these types of ideas and we go, that ah, couldn't happen here. But we're being foolish and we're being blind if we don't think that in a moment's notice that there could be a change and that within that change and in within that moment, everything that we know as a protection in our lives could be stripped away at the blink of an eye. And so Jesus is calling us this morning to be prepared. To be prepared and willing to forsake all that we love on this earth for him. The most harrowing aspect of persecution is fear that accompanies the persecution. 
The most harrowing aspect of persecution is fear. The fear of pain and death is the root cause of why we want nothing to do with persecution, and rightfully so. However, there is one, there is one who is far greater than any pain or any death, and his name is Jesus. And in these words to Smyrna, he is telling us this morning, he is telling the church at Smyrna, and he is telling Southside Baptist Church in 2024 that there is a way for us to overcome the fear of pain and death and to long and to hope for something that is far better. And the way he is telling us to do that this morning is through faithfulness. Faithfulness overcomes fear caused by pain and leads to a hope-filled promise. Faithfulness overcomes fear caused by pain and leads to a hope-filled promise. Jesus is calling each of us today to be faithful, even unto death. But the beautiful thing about Jesus is he is not calling us to do this alone. He is calling us to do this in his power. And in his glory. And immediately as we study these scriptures together, as we read the words of Jesus, Jesus gives us great comfort, just as Jesus always does. And he offers these words. He says, I am the first and the last. These are the words of the first and the last. If we think right now, in this moment, as far back as our minds can go, Jesus is before that. If we walk out right now and stare at creation and marvel at all that is in front of us, Jesus is before that. Jesus, in this moment, is claiming divinity. He's the one who was, who is, and who is to come. There is no beginning to Jesus. There is no start. He has always been. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And this is what Jesus means when he says, I am the first and the last. See, he is the beginning of everything. There's nothing before him. But he is also the last. Nothing will outlast Jesus. 
nothing will endure longer than Jesus. These problems we're getting ready to discuss, that we're getting ready to talk about, the problems that you may be facing in your life in this very moment that you walk through these doors with this morning. Let me tell you this morning, if you don't hear anything else, those problems will not outlast Jesus. Jesus is the last. In everything, Jesus will have the final say. So he's the first and the last, and he's the one who died and who came to life. See, death could not keep him. The grave could not hold him. Jesus Christ conquered sin and death once and for all. Death has no power over Jesus. The very thing that you and I fear the most in this world has no power over Jesus Christ. He has conquered it once and for all. So these are the words of the very one whom we are hearing from today. And after he shares these words... He begins to discuss the future that is going to take place at Smyrna. And see, Jesus telling us who he is, it matters in every circumstance of life. But what Smyrna was getting ready to hear, these words that Jesus offered to them were especially comforting and true and good. Knowing that Jesus is the first and last in all things should give us hope in every situation. Knowing that Jesus is sovereignly working his will in all things. There's nothing that happens outside of Jesus. There's nothing in our lives that happens outside of Jesus. We can trust in all circumstances of our lives, knowing and believing that he cares for us and that he has dominion and power in all circumstances. And as we begin to understand that death has no hold on Jesus, because of this, we have the courage to face every circumstance in this life knowing that if we've placed our faith in Jesus, that we do not have to fear death. Because if death has no hold on Jesus, and if our faith and trust is in Jesus, death has no hold upon you or me either. When we truly believe that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord in heaven eternally, then we begin to understand that death is only a gateway to eternal perfection. Death is a gateway to eternal glory. And when we long for heaven and not the things of this earth, the sting of death is removed. No longer in existence. And so... Jesus wants us to know today as we begin, as he begins talking to Smyrna, what Satan wants us to fear so deeply has been conquered by Jesus himself. And because of this, we have hope. So there are so many ways that we can experience pain through persecution. And within Smyrna's circumstances... 
As he begins to to look at the circumstances of their life, Jesus offers some of the sweetest words that we can hear. And he says this. It's very simple. He says, I know. I know. Amid all the struggles that Smyrna faced, Jesus expressed, I know your struggles. I know your pains. I know you are enduring. In these moments, moments that were wearisome and toilsome, Jesus didn't look at the church at Smyrna and say, you've got this. Do better. Be stronger. The best is yet to come. No, he said, I know. I know your tribulation and your poverty and your slander. Jesus wants us to know, even when we are facing the most difficult circumstances in this life, he knows. And he is with us every step of the way. If anyone understands suffering and persecution, if anyone can look into our lives in the most sufferable moments that we experience and say, I know, and we can take comfort and trust in that, his name is Jesus, who is the suffering one. As I read these words of Jesus saying, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. I know the slander that you are facing. As I read these words of Jesus, I envision a mother standing over a hospital bed where her child lays, writhing in pain, physically sick and ill, and the mother looking at that child with the most soothing words, patting her child and saying, I know. I know. I know this hurts. I know that this doesn't feel good. But I'm with you. That validation of the pain that is being experienced and also those soothing words of knowing that we're not walking through that pain alone. Jesus says, I know. So pain is found within persecution And Jesus knows that we are immune to the pain. And the church at Smyrna faced pain in many different forms. And I want us to just look at that for just a moment this morning. Because we too as humans will be faced with the same types of pain within persecution. And so the first thing that we see at the church at Smyrna within the pain was that the church at Smyrna was experiencing tribulation. And within the Greek, that word literally means that they were experiencing pressure. There was outside pressure that was occurring within their lives at every moment. The world did not understand their beliefs. And the world felt threatened by their beliefs. Historical documents showed that there was a belief of incest within the church. And the the, the thought behind that was that everyone called each other brother and sister. But the world pushed back against these ideas. There were records that showed cannibalism within the church. There was a misunderstanding of what the Lord's Supper meant. 
And so you, you begin to understand that, that Christians haven't been bizarre and weird just in the last few years, right? The world has always seen us as bizarre and weird. They do not understand the truths of God and simple misunderstandings can lead to tribulation and pressure in the lives of the church, but then also this very real understanding that the world does not like the church. And so there were all of these pressures that were occurring. People of influence perceived that this new religion was not going to bring Smyrna to new heights, right? Within this city, they were trying to advance. They were trying to grow. And this new religion was believed that, that it was going to just hold things back. And so people with influence began to take note of this. And if you were a part of the church, it began to affect your life. Maybe you were looking for work or maybe you were going to the market and looking to sell. And in those moments, you know, oh, by the way, are you part of that church down there at Smyrna? You know, are, are you part of that, those, those new weird, bizarre people that are doing crazy things around here? And in those moments, in those moments when one identified as a follower of Christ, when one identified as being a part of the church, in that moment, now they were no longer able to continue to to be a part of society in a normal way. Nah, you know what, we don't, we don't think we need your help. Ah, there's somebody over here selling the same stuff. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go buy from him, I'm gonna go buy from her. So they were experiencing all these pressures from within the community. And the reality was, as these pressures, as these tribulations came to be, there began to be other struggles that began to occur. And Jesus says, I know your tribulation, but he also says, I know your poverty. So there was, there was tribulation, but there was also struggle. There was pain among finances. As a result of the tribulation, the church was being financially oppressed as well. And because of the influential people within the community opposing the church, financial resources began to plummet. And listen, you can't do money and missions without money or ministry and missions without money. And so this occurred corporately, but also individually. People's lives began to be affected corporately as the church and individually within their own lives. And so there was tribulations that were occurring. There were financial struggles that were occurring. And then there were also critics. There were these slanderers. Jesus says, there are those who are slandering the name of the church at Smyrna. And he says, these people, they claim to call themselves Jews. He says, but they are Jewish in ethnicity only. He says, their understanding of who God has called them to be as the chosen people of God and their, their love for God, Jesus says they have fallen far away from God. As a matter of fact, they are a synagogue of Satan. And so we, we begin to understand what is really occurring here. The evils of this world are really being pressed upon the church. In the name of religion, 
These Jewish people sought to destroy the church at Smyrna by ruining their reputation through vile speech. And so there's a progression that's happening. Tribulations are occurring. Finances are being hurt and, 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 and dwindled. Critics are rising up. And then he says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested and for 10 days you will have tribulation. See, Jesus is warning them that some of you are getting ready to be imprisoned for what you believe. Satan himself and his demons and those who dwell on this earth doing the evil work of Satan... We're going to apprehend these people and place them under arrest. Innocent, God-loving people. And Jesus says, through this, your faith will be tested. So within all of this, I want us to understand that Satan was and is the enemy. Satan hates everything that we do. Everything. And it says for 10 days they would be imprisoned. Within this culture under Roman rule there would be people who were arrested and they would be placed in arenas to fight gladiators or beasts. And these events would often last 3 to 13 days and so this is very potentially what Jesus may be talking about in this moment, that there's going to be a very literal time frame, a little time and period where they were going to be under arrest and their fate was going to probably be against some type of beast or some type of gladiator. The other way, some scholars would argue, is that the 10 doesn't represent a literal number, but it's more symbolic. And the fact that it is a round number. That, that meant that there was going to be a start and an end to this imprisonment, but also to give us an understanding that this number pales in comparison of the imprisonment that's going to occur against the thousand-year reign of Jesus that was to come. Either way, we have to know that these folks were going to be literally imprisoned. And Jesus was going to work it out just the way he desired. And the final thing that he says is that there will be death. He made it clear that there will be some who die. And Jesus says the final efforts of the world to have someone denounce their faith in Jesus will always be met with death. See, here's what I believe really happened. The tribulations began. And the church wouldn't stop. So then the financial pains began. And the church wouldn't stop. Well, then came the slander. And the church wouldn't stop. Then came the imprisonment. And the church wouldn't stop. Then came the death. See, there was a progression. All of this didn't just start on one day. There was a progression that occurred in the life of the Christians there at Smyrna. And we, as the people of God, have to understand 
that when the persecution begins, if we are faithful to Jesus, the persecution will only get harder. But we also see as we walk with Jesus that this is right and that it's good. So faithfulness overcomes fear caused by pain and leads to a hope-filled promise. And so the only way, the only way that we can overcome pain of persecution is to persevere to the end by knowing and trusting Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells us because of who he is, we do not have to fear. See, not only is there pain, but there is a promise. Not only is there the pain, but there is the promise. And we see two promises, two promises within this passage this morning. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. So Jesus is promising us this morning that regardless of what the world does to us, Despite the world trying to remove any affluence that we may have within our communities, we are rich. Despite not having much within our bank accounts, we are rich. I love the words of Dr. Jim Hamilton. He says, brothers and sisters, we are rich because we have what will save life unto eternity. When Jesus comes on that white horse, outdated clothes, beat up cars and houses where the appliances have not been updated will cease to be indications that we are unwealthy. The only thing that will matter is whether or not you have the gospel. And if you have the gospel, you are indeed rich. The wealth is yours if you will trust in Christ. And so in this moment, Jesus is reminding each of us today that we can have all of this stuff of this world taken away in a moment's notice, and it means absolutely nothing if Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. We have been reconciled by Jesus to our Father in heaven who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We are eternally rich because we are his and he is ours. I believe that next to losing our lives, I earnestly believe one of the greatest struggles of persecution that we as the American church will face is the loss of potential wealth. I believe it's what we're most fearful of. Are we willing to give away all financial gain for the sake of Jesus? Do we earnestly believe that we are eternally rich because of him? Do our lives right now give testimony to the very truth and fact that we love Jesus more than our money and our careers and our savings accounts. If we love Jesus, if we love our money more than we love Jesus right now, then I can promise you 
In moments of adversity and in moments of persecution, our hearts will not change. And so what we do with our lives now matters. Listen to me, church. Don't wait for the hard times to love Jesus more than you love your money. Don't wait for the hard times to love Jesus more than you love your stuff. Love Jesus more than anything now. And everything else will make sense. He gives us the promise of wealth, but he also gives us the promise of life. See, only Jesus... Only Jesus has the right and the authority to call us to be faithful unto death. However, that same Jesus offers us an incredible promise within that death, and he says that that promise is life. Jesus says, if we are faithful unto death, he will give us the crown of life. If we are faithful unto death, he will give us the crown of life. Yes, the world may hurt your body. Yes, the world may pierce your flesh. Yes, the world may take your last and final breath and cause your heart to beat its final beat. But Jesus says, I will give you life that is perfectly eternal. The absolute only way, the only way any of us will live faithfully through a moment such as what Smyrna is living through and be faithful all the way to the end, the only way that we will see the end is to die to ourselves and to live for Christ. See, death to self leads to death of sin, and this leads to death of the world and death of fear. This is... Nothing that we can do on our own. See, the way in which Smyrna was living is absolutely antithetical to everything that is in us. But Jesus was their reward. And Jesus must too be our award. And that final verse there, Jesus alludes to the second death, which is described in Revelation 20. Verse 14, as the lake of fire. And Jesus is telling us today that we may face much atrocity on this earth. We may experience much on this earth that is seemingly unfair. There are brothers and sisters all around the globe, maybe even today, who will be gunned down in their churches because of their faith in Christ Jesus, but have courage and have hope, my dear brothers and sisters, because God's judgment is coming. What occurs in this world that is evil and not of God will be judged by God himself, cast into the lake of fire. And so when we don't feel as though we are vindicated, when we don't feel that judgment is occurring, when we feel as though we're not being seen, take hope in knowing that there is a judgment that is coming. And that God in his sovereignty will judge rightly and perfectly. 
this morning, my greatest fear, my plea with each of us this morning is to not miss Jesus. My greatest fear for us as Americans within our churches is that they are so comfortable and cool. If these lights disappeared tomorrow, if the band went away, if these soft chairs in this building disappeared, if the thermostat was taken away from us, if the bank accounts became empty, would Jesus be enough? Who do we love? This is a question we have to search in our own hearts. And we have to know that we can trust him. Faithfulness overcomes fear caused by pain and leads to a hope-filled promise. But the only way we can experience faithfulness is by trusting Jesus. Is Jesus enough? Father, we love you.